street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Hey, welcome to the Street Epistemology Podcast, Episode 3. I am your co-host, Daniel. This is Anthony Magnabosco. Hello. Uh, Reed Nicewonder. Hello, what's up? Joe Hitchens. Hello, everybody. And joining us today are two special guests. Anthony, would you like to introduce our guests today? Absolutely, absolutely. We have CJ from the Netherlands. He's joining us today. It's six hours ahead. He's uh, he's connecting here at one o'clock in the morning. And then we also have Tom from the UK joining us five hours ahead. Gentlemen, thank you for coming. No problem. It's a pleasure to be here. Really nice to have you here. Uh, these two gentlemen uh, helped myself and a few other people at QEDCon in Manchester, England this past weekend. And I'm really eager to get into talking about that and, and how much of a success I think it was. I certainly got a lot of feedback there and after the event. And uh, these two gentlemen were instrumental in making sure that that happened. And uh, I'm really eager to get into the details and how that went off. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So uh, we thought we'd start tonight by just kind of talking about um, what's been going on and uh, what's been happening over there in the Netherlands and and uh, all the way across from us. Um, uh, Anthony, if you want to start asking the first couple questions, if, if you have anything you want to talk about, you're more than welcome to start us off. Oh, sure. Well, we kind of invited ourselves to QED, or more or less. Uh, Joe was familiar with the QED event. It's a skeptic event in the UK. It's held every year, and I think this was our eighth year, seventh or eighth year. And we've been talking about going to a conference and maybe giving a workshop to promote street epistemology. So I think it was Joe's idea to, to go to QED. So I messaged the organizers through Twitter to see if they would be interested in having a workshop, a street epistemology workshop. And they were, they were interested in having us there. But because we sort of initiated this thing, uh, we had to foot our own bill to get there. And that's that kind of ties into the fundraiser that I had a few months, um, a month or so ago uh, to raise some money to get me to these conferences. And this was one of the four conferences. So this was our first time doing a workshop at a large conference like this. And I didn't really know what to expect. I've never had never been to QED. CJ or Tom, have you guys been to QED before? Yeah, when uh, last year was my first one, and then this time was my second. Two totally different experiences, I have to say. How so? And I hadn't even heard about it before uh, the whole SE thing came up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I never heard about it either. Well, how was this one different than last year? Other than the well, last is year, it because of the SE component. Absolutely. Um, I was just a, your average guest uh, last year. Uh, I went on my own and I found it a little tricky to be so, to other people, sorry. But I was much more involved this time with the street epistemology table and having people come up to talk to me. And yeah, I felt more part of the event. It was great. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't really know what to expect going there, but I, I totally felt welcomed 
you know, from the very start. Uh, on Friday, they had this thing called Skepticamp, which I guess is loosely associated with QED. And and participants or, or people that are going to QED as as just guests have a chance to give a talk, and that's what Skepticamp is. And the way they do it, it's like a 15-minute thing. You have 10 minutes for slides, and the slides change every 30 seconds. And then you have a five-minute Q&A. So I've, I signed up for that, and I gave a 10-minute talk on relativism. But I was also able to plug the two street epistemology workshops that we had on Saturday and Sunday. So I think that helped drive people to the workshops. And then, of course, we had the tabling, too. And none of this was recorded at all? Like, really? Nah, no. But I did post my slides for the workshop and the Skepticamp thing. Uh, if you go to my Twitter, you'll see a link to a to a Google Drive where you can have that. But the cool thing is we we tabled the whole weekend. And CJ was there. Tom was there. We had a few other volunteers. Joe was there, myself. So people could walk by and ask us questions. And we had a really cool setup there. Do you want to talk about that, CJ? Uh, yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, I think one thing that's good to let everybody know so they can have a picture. Uh, we were basically only one of three tables right there uh, across from the from the, the elevators or lifts as they call them in the UK uh, and the stair staircase uh, and the entrance to the main hall and of the three tables one of them was actually the organizers own table where they uh, handed out the badges and uh, did the, so they sold the books there and uh, then there was us and the last table was uh, from a lovely lady who I'm Strongly with the name, it was Rebecca, right, Anthony? Rebecca Fox was next to us. <clears throat> Rebecca Fox, who does amazing uh, art, amazing visual novels, uh, all related to skepticism. So uh, yeah, definitely giving a plug there. Um, so it really stood out, the fact that there were only two real tables there, and uh, we had uh, we had our setup that we basically put together uh, with our group. Tommy, Tom was. Um, Kind enough to provide a television, big, uh, big, flat screen television. Uh, I provided some uh, some audio equipment so people could uh, use headphones, and we could had four headphones, uh, all hooked up to the to the video, so people could uh, listen uh, listen to the actual videos. And Anthony provided uh, the footage, and uh, we looped. Uh, we basically looped uh, a video of Anthony uh, together with a video of Reed right here. And uh, they turned out to be uh, a smashing su success. I, uh, I can say absolutely. I, I think the the organizers were a were a little alarmed when we brought up that huge TV set, and they thought we were going to be blasting this these videos to everyone walking in. But yeah, CJ brought this this like splitter and four different sets of headsets, and the videos themselves had captions on them. So even if a person didn't want to put a headphone a headset on, they could watch the screen. And a lot of people did that. They would they would just intently look at the screen and or put the headphones on if they really got engaged. And that was really neat. And yeah, those things played the whole weekend. Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was very cool to see the reactions of people seeing this type of conversation for the first time. Uh, yeah, the reactions were, were really there. Um, maybe, maybe you can uh, say, Anthony, which videos uh, were playing, because I can imagine uh, a lot of our viewers right now are familiar with these specific mm -hmm. examples. Well, I played, like you said, I played a video of mine with Kiana, uh, one of my videos with, with about karma. So if you just Google my name or search in YouTube for my name and Kiana, K-I-A-N-A, -A, 
you'll see it. And reeds, we had to do Tia. That's like the classic, you know, so far that's like one of the best examples of SE, I think, out there. So we had to include that one. Um, that was kind of interesting that people walking by didn't really know what to do with the big screen. So I remember looking up and seeing Tommy putting on the headphones and, and watching a video that he's probably watched many times. Yeah, kind of <laughs> modeling the behavior we wanted the other participants walking by to do. And it worked. It was amazing. You know, that would occupy one of the four headsets. And then before you knew it, all three banks were filled up. And then Tommy could walk away and just manage the table. Hmm. I found it really handy that as I listened with them, as they took their headphones on, mine came off at the same time. So then I could engage in conversation about what they just witnessed. Um, mm. their thoughts on the conversation. So, yeah, yeah. I got involved in a few say? conversations that way. Uh, they were quite shocked, really, um, at how quickly we had an effect. I say we, you, <laughs> had an effect in the conversations. Um, we spoke about uh, how they might have approached the conversations um, not using SE when they might have jumped on in the tier video, for example, uh, Reed, when she mentioned the Tower of Babel. Almost every other skeptic there would have jumped all over that and started discussing evidence. Mm. And uh, one of my favorite questions you asked was about um, if it could be um, explained to your satisfaction that this evidence was unreliable and all the evidence was unreliable. Would you still believe? And yes, she would. And I tried to highlight how important that kind of question is for peeling back the, la the layers. And that's what we're really aiming for. And mm. everyone were really engaged. They really understood um, you know, what we were trying to achieve. And I mean, we just had so much interest around uh, the table and people can see the benefit. So cool. I Looks like the CJ had a picture there. Yeah, yeah, I took the liberty of uh, showing that this picture. That is awesome, dude. Yeah, that was, that was great. Look at that. So many people, even, even with all the headphones, well, it looks like there's one set available, but some people were watching the screen. And I think was, what was really neat, not everybody smiled and thought that this was great. I mean, there was a few people that would watch it and they wanted to understand more. I think one, there's one woman in particular that I'm thinking of where it seemed like she was like concerned about Tia. She, mm. I can't remember what her exact worry was. Like, Can I just... I don't know if it was, we were making... What was it? Do you remember, do you remember Tom? Because I think you were talking yeah. to her. Yeah, she thought um, that Tia was perhaps not intellectually equipped for the questions, and maybe mm. we were taking advantage. That's it, taking advantage of her. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I I didn't get that impression personally because well, I edited the I put the transcripts on the captions on that video, and I was listening intently to the whole thing, and she had people there off to the side that were just waiting for her to finish and and you know. I assume assure her that everything would be okay and type of thing. In fact, they were kind of even yelling things to her throughout the interview. Um, so she's yeah, definitely even, not for a lack of community, I think. Oh, and I even remember that during the fade out, she actually encourage, encourages her mother to do it, to do the interview as well. So it doesn't seem like uh, couldn't have been too left a bad, bad impression on her. That's a good point. Yeah, right there. Yeah. That's a good point. And then, uh, so after that, I mean, the tabling was awesome. We, we in addition to the the videos, we had uh, our whiteboard set up and Bogosian's book. 
um, oh, some brochures and some cards. Uh, but the, the real big thing was to drive people to the workshop. And they came, man. They We had a huge turnout. The, the workshop was pretty much intended, I think, for about 40 people. We had, I think, close to 80 on Saturday. And then just as many or more people in the line to go in on Sunday. But I asked if they can cap it at about 60, 65 people. Because during the workshop, after giving a 15-minute a uh, explanation of what street epistemology is, we showed like a 10-minute video. And then we moved to this hands-on workshop where we actually role-played. One person makes the claim and the other person uses SE and then they flip. And it was so loud on Saturday that I could barely hear. It was this, this amazing roar of people <laughs> communicating. Now, fortunately, they were able to keep keep track of their conversation. I don't know how they did it. So anyways, the second one, we limited the numbers just a bit, but it was so encouraging to look at that sea of people. Do you have another picture, CJ, by any chance? Yeah, it's already on here. Uh, so awesome. I, I can't see uh, if my yeah, picture is this, up here or not, but the uh, first day. it's probably the first day workshop. This, no, this yeah, looks inside. Like yeah, this is day two. I can oh, tell okay. by the arrangement of the chairs. Oh yeah, that's a good point. And also I can show a picture of the line Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, right here. I counted eighty plus uh in the room for the first one, but there were also people who were turned away. So there was more yeah, about twenty to twenty-five. Yeah. And I think um from the UK perspective, we were up against some tough competition. There were some um big names up against us, and there were around six hundred guests. So I think percentage wise we did pretty well. Yeah, it looks like about a quarter of the attendees uh, actually did the street epistemology workshop in the end. Mm -hmm. And they all know Reed's face now, too, because every time they walked by, <laughs> by that table. That's, cool. That's right, because for my video, it was just my, my uh, right. conversation partner was there. But yeah, they get to see Reed quite a bit. <laughs> How many people? I think it was also them? encouraging was the was the amount of people that came up after having attended the workshops saying how much that they enjoyed it um now we didn't have a q a in the workshop that was the other thing that i really i love having a q a after giving a talk but there was no time at 50 minutes we just had 50 minutes to explain se show an example and do role play and we had to get out of the room so a lot of people then came to the table to ask questions and and we got a lot of feedback from people who were using the method that day, I have a story in particular, but I don't know if you guys have anything you want to share or something that you overheard. I, I think I know the story you're talking about, which is great, and we should leave that to last because that is such a great story. Um, I found it quite encouraging. There was one guy who helps people coming out of um, GA where they're taught to worship a higher power uh, and not to essentially respect themselves um, that they're not worthy, they need the higher power to look after them. And he helps people out, to come out of those groups and supports them with some friends. And he came up three or four times uh, and he was asking lots of questions and he could see how he could apply it to helping these people coming out of GA, which I thought was great. Uh, another lady, she ended up coming for dinner with us and she's a psychologist, I think she was. And she was thinking how she can apply SE to a professional life. Yeah, and it she was really was, nice to see. Sorry, go on, Joe. She was uh, doing some psychological work for the military. 
right? Mm. And she was uh, she worked with uh, uh, soldiers who had PTSD, and she was thinking about ways she could use it there, which was really interesting. We'd never heard anything like that before, at least I hadn't. And I think it's so important because some people who first get involved or first um, watch some videos of SE seem to think it's religion-centered, and it really isn't. And I think that's what was shown really this this mm. weekend just gone. Yeah, that's a good point. So many people brought up examples that were not religious. There was another a guy and maybe his daughter, I'm not sure, but he was going on but saying that he gets involved with um, labor disputes, labor issues, mm -hmm. something like that. And he thought that SE could be really useful in helping him uh, hash these things out with people on, on differing views. How about you, CJ? Did you have any anecdotes? I don't think I have any any the anecdotes that that you guys don't know about. Um, I mean, I listened in on a few. Uh, we talked to a few people together. I don't have any that are like exclusive to to me. Uh, I would like to add though that um, QED, of course, is a skeptics conference, and I did notice that there isn't much of a focus on religion at all. So. The conference itself and the interest from the people at the conference shows that SE is so much broader than just religion, because religion basically wasn't a focus at all at QED. Mm. I can't tell you how many times, though, people would say, oh, did you see the Jehovah's Witnesses that are outside? Have you talked to them? Have you talked to the Mormons that are out there? There's a guy preaching over there. Did you go talk to him? So I think people were aware that it, it could be used for religious claims. But yeah, that was a sentiment that I got. And and probably the highlight of my trip was after the second workshop, about three hours later, a guy came up to me and said that he was having lunch with his wife. He attended the second workshop and then met his wife for lunch. And then she was at a different event or something. I don't know. And him and his wife had been arguing for years about homeopathy, disagreeing on it. I guess his wife really thinks that it's true. He said, we sat down and my wife was asking me about, about the workshop. So I started asking her about homeopathy. And it seems he reported that within five or 10 minutes, she lowered her confidence in homeopathy being real, being effective, or her belief that it's effective, at least, um, from like the 90% mark down to the 50% mark. And he was so grateful. He was so grateful to to be able to talk to his wife about something that they've butted heads over before and actually make some progress. So then we just spent a little time talking about, well, what's the next steps? What do you do next? Which um, I just advised him to give her time, give her some time to process it and then maybe revisit it again. And perhaps more importantly, teach her street epistemology, teach her how to use it so that she can continue using it for other beliefs that she has and maybe even this, this view on homeopathy. Yeah, what a great skill set to have. Really awesome stuff. Cool. That was an amazing weekend, wasn't it? It was, and I think this was this is like a proof of concept. I think for other conferences, I you know I, I've always felt that there's a demand for SE. If we if we could just give give you know supply that demand. Um, and this was this is really interesting. I, I tweeted that picture that CJ showed, or one of them, of the line to David Silverman, president of American Atheists, because I would love to give a conference, uh, give a not a conference. I would love to give a workshop 
at one of those conferences here in the U.S. And I'm, I have a fairly high degree of confidence that there would be interest in the U.S. And maybe people would even want to go to the conference because there was an SE option. Well, we're, we're slowly but surely getting more visibility. This is how Looks we do way. it, I guess. Looks that way. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for coming on and, and ta- you know, talking to us about you know, your involvement with QEDCon. And I hope they invite us back. If they do, I'd love to see you guys there. You guys want to tell us what you're up to in your channel, and then uh, you, you're more than welcome to leave or stick around as we keep going on. How can people reach you? You want to start, Tom? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I took a lot from the weekend, and when I saw the interest, I've become quite inspired. And I've, for the last year or so, I've been thinking I'd like to have a go, but never had the guts. Um, but now I'm going to do it, and I've just set up my own YouTube channel today, and it's called Placing Pebbles. Um, so please come along and come and see what I've got to do. My idea is not to be another Anthony, uh, not to be another Reed. Um, I'm trying to fit a, a niche where people, um, they see Anthony, who's been doing this for a long time, and Reed, who are very well skilled at what they do. Um, and I was worried that I would never be able to achieve there, and I was nowhere near there. And I thought, actually, it might be good for some people to see someone like me try street epistemology for the first time and go and film it and watch my mistakes and learn from them with me and also to encourage them just to get out there and have a go. You don't have to be an expert. You can go and you can learn and you might learn something from your interlocutor. So it should be good. Awesome. Like the making of a street epistemologist. Yeah. Come follow my journey. Do you think that there's anything unique about your area, your the venue that you might be doing this, a cultural differences that might be more challenging or make it, make it easier for you? It's a good question. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure, I think, until I get out there. Um, in general, we're not quite as religious as a nation, even though uh, the Church of England, um, you know, we are apparently a religious country, but realistically we aren't. I think I might have more topics to do with superstition, karma, and and other things other than religion. I think we are probably a little more reserved, and I might have a little more trouble getting people to talk to me in the first place. But we'll see, you know, I've got a friendly face. <laughs> Excited to see what you come up with. How about you, CJ? Uh, yeah, so I... Yeah, I started uh, basically an online presence only a few weeks ago, so there's not too much on there yet, but it's uh, CJ Dutch SE. So that's at CJ Dutch SE on both uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Got to keep up with the young folks. And um, I'm, I have started doing SE on the street with the whiteboard uh, about two months ago, but I've only managed three sessions so far, hoping to go out again uh, next Saturday. Um, I'm not filming currently because of the, basically the language barrier. It'll all be in Dutch. Uh, not many people will be able to understand it, but I'm uh, sharing pictures, sh- sharing stories, and I might end up um, filming it at some later point. Um, kind of mirroring uh, what Tom is saying about the demographic and the kinds of talks uh, I get. It is, of course, different than, uh, let's say, Texas, for example. Maybe it's a little bit more like California. Um, not many religious 
talks. We had a talk about um, eating meat, a talk about uh, healthcare systems. Uh, I've also spoken to two ex-Muslims and an ex-Jehovah's Witness. And that, that does um, inspire me to uh, not only have these talks, but also basically promote street epistemology. So my sign and my cards do say street epistemology, and I do encourage people to look it up when I think it could be helpful to them. So when I'm out there, it's uh, not just to help people with street epistemology, but also help them come in touch uh, and learn about street epistemology themselves. Nice. Help promote it. Sounds great. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, you're more than welcome to stick around. Thank you for joining us. And if you do decide to stick around, feel free to jump in as we're as we're moving on to the next segments. Daniel, I'll give it back to you. Yes. So um, we can take this a couple ways. Uh, we have a video prepared tonight um, from Reed. Uh, really excited to watch that. Um, so for you guys uh, that have never seen this before, we just kind of take a video and we talk about it. We'll be pausing it in between. And if you want to say something, just go ahead and say it. Um, who has the video? So is this is this a video that none of us have seen but read? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I think so, we just yeah. uploaded it today. Yeah, just an hour ago, or an hour and a half. Sweet. Is it public? It is public now. It's public. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll play it here. And I'm thinking if you guys want me to pause it, just yell out pause, I suppose, or maybe type it. Um, I have to turn down the audio. I can't actually hear it. I won't be able to hear you guys talking, I think, as I play this. So maybe you could just type in the word pause or P would be good. And then I'll pause it. Got it. Oh, Reed, do you want to set this up? Um, sure. I mean, uh, I went out to this brand new location. I went to the Santa Monica Pier, as you can see in the background. And uh, I went out last Saturday. And this was just a pretty nice guy who, uh, who sat down at my table and we talk about his belief in God. Cool. Okay. Another Let's personal go. belief that I have that I think of very strongly is that I don't think anybody knows anything at all. Okay. What was your name? My name is Reed. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi. So yeah, what I do here is I just let people pick any topic. Typically it's best if it's some kind of deeply held belief, something you really think is true, something that matters to you. Something comes in the past have been about some type of spiritual or religious topic or political issue, any hmm. superstitions, karma, ghosts, magic, God, or some type of politics thing, whatever you want. But I have to choose. Preferably, yeah. I like to keep it open. Well, uh, tell you what, uh, well, what did the last person choose to talk about? Uh, art. And then a lady before that was in reincarnation. Before that was about uh, polyamory. So it just runs the gamut. So uh, upon my choosing a topic, yeah. will you prompt me with questions or will I I'll be... I'll just ask questions, yeah. Oh, okay. Do you feel like you're pretty well versed on a, a variety of things? Well, I just try to understand uh, the reasons why. It's got a lot of questions. And whether those reasons are reliable ways to come to whatever belief. Hmm. And I just, I just try to explore that with people. That's quite interesting. So it really could be about anything. That's an in, that's a 
that's a tall order, boss. I don't always know what to think about. I got plenty of beliefs, but uh, choosing one is kind of a okay. difficult prospect. Uh, do you believe in any gods or higher powers or anything spiritual like that? Yes. Want to talk about that? That sounds great. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> all right. First, got to get a sense of your confidence that some type of god is real and true. Say on a scale from zero to one hundred. There's no. Probably 100. Zero doubt in my heart. 100%. So that coming. So what would you say is like the main reason why you are so confident? What gets you to that such high confidence? I don't know. I think I was fortunate enough to have been born with such beliefs. Over the course of my life, there have been various events that have uh, unfolded that have really reinforced those beliefs. Uh, dreams, instances in waking life that uh, really just solidified my, my confidences. Okay. So like three things, it's you've been born with it, and then like personal experiences through your life that have reinforced it, including like dreams and stuff like yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Right. Okay. But uh, interestingly, uh, or interestingly enough, uh, very little of that has been uh, church involvement. Okay. Uh, you have very little church, it's just your own personal experiences? Okay. So, it's um, so I'm noticing... Uh, how good Reed is at echoing things back. He's very good at repeating uh, back to the IL what you know what they've said, which is important, right? Yeah, Reed does that a lot. It's good. I also noticed that he doesn't do much with the rapport at the beginning, but it doesn't seem to be a, a problem. I do need to work on my rapport building. I could use a little bit more. I think this guy had you covered this time. Uh, he's asking a lot of questions, so that means he was interested at least. He's unique. He was sizing up his yeah, opponent. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I also think that the the need for rapport building may very well differ uh, in different locations, different cultures. Maybe even be different in uh, Texas uh, compared to California. Yeah, could be. Although I don't know, have have the answers, but I can imagine that uh, not everybody feels the same need for that. Playing. Is this a god related to some type of religion? Or, yeah, it is? It sure, uh, okay. yes, my, my faith lies with the god of Abraham. Okay, gotcha. And, uh, all right. So what, what would you say is like the main reason why? Is it because you were born with it? Or is it mainly the personal experiences? I like to think that that's why, but truly, I'm not sure. Not I don't sure. think, uh, and another personal belief that I have that I think of very strongly is that I don't think anybody knows anything at all. Okay. No one knows anything at all? About anything? About anything. Like, to absolute certainty, is that what you're saying? Or like, even at all about anything? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, really? Okay. Could we, I can see lead, for example, uh, know that there are like tic tac? I thought you were going to go back to the belief scale. Didn't he say yeah. he was 100%? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's so when so you look down, Reed, I thought for sure you were going to say, well, how could you be 100%? Then? Yeah, I was just kind of dumbfounded. So I, I grabbed the tic tacs to try to give an example. Yeah, understandable. If in doubt, reach for the tic tacs. <laughs> tic tacs. I left my tic tacs. <laughs> I left my tic, you know, my Tic Tacs were in my luggage, which got lost on the way from London to Houston. <laughs> so I was on the trail today uh, and I was like, oh, I want to do an experiment. And I looked at my board and my Tic Tacs weren't there. Mm. So I had to improvise. 
<laughs> it's good advice for Thanks. street epistemology and dates. So keep that in mind. We can look at that and say that there were, but truth be told, I don't believe that we could know for certain. I believe that all knowledge lies with God and that we're just, just kind of going around and comparing apples to apples. It's like the, it's like taking a look at a clock and saying linear time is. Okay. It, are there like more reliable and less reliable ways of determining if there are Tic Tacs in this box? Or is it, does it all have to come from this, this God to know that? Oh, well, certainly among men, I have a lot of faith in the scientific method okay. and measurement and uh, 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 experiences and pre-notion, right? The idea that we might have experienced before, I had 30 Tic Tacs and there I ate one, so now I have 29, but... Uh, so we could use like a, some science, some observation to determine those Tic Tacs? Yes. Okay. But I don't believe that there's any real knowledge there. There's no real knowledge there? Um, why? I don't know. No, it's just a feeling I've got. Like, can we not use our observation and our testing of the amount of Tic Tacs in there to come to a, a reasonable degree of confidence about the stuff in there? No, certainly. Okay. Can you just pull Is it? there any way to observe? He is hard to read. Yeah, this is a strange guy. It's very different. I, I, think, I, yeah, I wonder... Sorry, go and see uh, Yeah, I wonder if Reed will ask him for his definition of knowledge, because on uh, the one hand, to it. <laughs> okay, yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Reed, is that a spoiler? Um, <laughs> no, don't spoil. <laughs> sure, let, let's take let's take uh, bets on how this turns out or something. Yeah, because uh, it, it it seems like he is. Using the word knowledge for some some sort of absolute certainty, absolute knowledge, any regards, any any uh, like everyday common type of knowledge yeah. as as something below that or something. Yeah, I, I tried to look like he uses that that he, he doesn't use the word knowledge for just common everyday stuff apparently. Yeah, I tried to ask him that if if when he said. We can't know anything at all. I'm like, do you mean like to 100 100 percent certainty? And I think that's. I think he said, even even things like for less than that. But I could have been wrong. He seems to just keep flipping back from I know absolutely nothing to the scientific methods. Fine. <laughs> it it's weird. And and knowing for, and knowing for certain that that this god exists. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. Also saying that personal experiences are valid as well, which I thought was interesting, like as a form of knowledge. He kind of seemed to imply that, but it's kind of confusing. So. Or do any okay. type of more? experiments with this god uh, idea to have a reasonable competence for that? That's a good question, my friend. Um, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I don't know. Don't know, and, and it's not necessary. Not to me. Not to you. I'm not saying it's the case, but if someone could come up to the t a table, 
our table here and explain to us, you know, like this God actually is not real and true. I'm not saying is that's not the case, but if someone could, if there's any way we can know that for sure, would you like to know that? Like, would you like to discover that for yourself? No, no, nope. So does it whoa, matter to you if this is whoa. True? If what is true? If if there is a God, and that it's real and true. Well, like I said, there's not that much of a question in my mind. But uh, does it matter? I'm 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 not certain yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Like, if you discovered it's not true, would would that matter to you? No. Hmm. Oh wow. Okay. If Reed, you look that stunned. Sounds there. like a defense. <laughs> I think that's the first time I've seen emotion on Reed's face. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like a defense to me. Yeah, which is why I, I, I try a different question to try to understand. Because he, I mean, this obviously does matter to him in some way. Yeah. He, yeah, but so we'll see. Yeah, I think I would give him another pass at that question just to make sure he's he understood it and the implications of what he's saying. Tomorrow morning, no longer believing this to be the case, how would your life be any different? What would you, what would you be missing mostly? Um, my faith. Your faith? Like the belief itself or what is faith something different? Definitely something different. Faith is a... Okay. And uh, I don't know if anybody's ever spoken to you about this before, but the, uh, to me, the idea of faith is uh, knowledge without evidence. Uh, not, not belief without evidence, but knowledge. Um, knowledge without That's evidence? That's even worse. I believe so. Yeah. I'm sure there are different... Paraphrasing Hebrews 11, I think. It. I'm almost certain that other people would, but... I, okay. Yeah, is... Are you saying you use faith... To come to the knowledge that this God is real, yes. Ah, and is is this way of coming to this this belief a reliable way to come to true beliefs in general? Uh, well, like I said, I didn't say belief without without evidence. This knowledge, said, just yeah. knowledge without evidence. Yeah, yeah. Is faith a reliable way to know things? I believe so. Okay. An example of that is this God. Okay. Set himself yes, up absolutely. nicely. Could someone use faith and come to a mistaken belief about something? I don't know. Not belief, knowledge. Actually, well, a lot of that lies in opinion. Opinion. Uh, but... Uh, which makes it all the more difficult to say uh, whether that's a yes or no question. Like, is, is knowledge based on faith an opinion? Or is it no. anything else? Is something else? What is the knowledge based on for faith if it's not evidence? Faith itself. Faith itself. Yeah. Is, uh, is it possible for someone to use faith and come to a, a mistaken belief or a mistaken knowledge? It's hard to say. It's like I go back to uh, where I, what I was saying. I don't believe that anybody knows anything at all. Really? And so uh -huh. it's hard to say what's mistaken knowledge 
and what's correct knowledge when uh, there's not any way for us to know what which is which. Do the airplane okay. thing, Reed. Do well, the airplane thing. I think that's our time. Uh, sweet. Uh, Anything else about this, Michael? Pleasure speaking with you, Reed. Nice hey, meeting you. Nice to meet you too. Have a good one. You too. Hmm. I don't blame you, Reed. Get out of there. <laughs> I got a few I don't knows and like. Yeah, he was. I, he was. He was willing to say I don't know quite a bit, which is encouraging. Seemed like a nice guy. Sounds like I think Reed. Maybe you're so used to saying you're using faith to come to this belief, and he was elevating it to even not. No, I, not, this is this is knowing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, I think a couple times there, you could have said, you know, it sounds like you're using faith to come to know. Uh, but you said belief, um, and I he called you. He caught caught you on it once at least. Yeah, and then I started to correct myself at the mm -hmm. end. So at one stage he said all that. Open to me. Sorry, CJ. Sorry, yeah, he he doesn't seem open to me. He seemed to be more interested in defending uh, the position that he holds, or maybe yeah, maybe maybe he's maybe he is discovering that it's it doesn't fit, but he just tries to. Try to tries to defend it uh, and not reflect on it. That's the sense I'm getting. It seemed like he was saying that he was justified in using unreliable faith because nobody can know anything. Therefore, this method is is acceptable mm. because nobody can ever say that they know anything. Therefore, I'm justified in this method of faith. It seemed like that he that's what he was saying. I'd have to watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to see to talk to him some more. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed it ended so fast. I thought there's a lot to uh, explore with that guy. Yeah, where could I have gone at the end there? Uh, I mean, maybe just ask him, like, how do you know anything? You know, just like being really direct about it. I don't know. Yeah. Is there anything you, well, he said he did know that God was real. So how does he know that's real? And that faith, can people be mistaken about that? Yeah. Knowledge that come with faith. Yeah. Is there any reason I, I, you didn't guess... use the outsider test? Um, well, well he did in a way. I didn't quite catch. He, he did think. a specific example, but he did ask if people could use faith to come to mistaken beliefs or knowledge, mm -hmm. which is like the abstract version of the uh, OTF. Yeah, and I think um, he said, "I don't know I, at I, that I stage." Yeah, I think he said, I don't know at that stage. And then maybe I would have provided a, a, an example and then asked him to differentiate between the two. Yeah. I think also you could have um, uh, gone back to his certainty and actually spell it out. Right. If you can't know anything, how can you be 100% certain? It was there in the, like, the subtext, basically, but it wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't, said i think um maybe this we can't know anything is his get out of jail free card mm -hmm. and yeah it sounds like he's flip-flopping between i mean he, he's claiming certainty when it suits him as a defense and he's claiming uh relativism when it suits him and these conversations like seem to down the road. these conversations seem to come down to the honesty of the person that we're having the conversation with and i don't get the impression that he was being entirely honest. Mm -hmm. 
uh, maybe sorry defensive. It wasn't it wasn't so much of an exploration as it was him just erecting defenses. I think he was already defensive from the tough. start. He was asking all these questions. What are your intentions? I think he already was uh, in quite a defensive mode right from the beginning. Cautious, yeah. Yeah, he was very stiff. So maybe that had you know he felt a little um, uncomfortable. Well, that was different. That was interesting. He willingly came up and wanted to be interviewed. Like, can you relate what happened prior to you hitting the record button? Like, did um, he approach you? Yeah, he approached me. Like, pretty much everybody does. I was just there at my table. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. Well, any other What's next comments? That was. That was. Uh, oh. Have a What's next thing? on the docket? Um, so, Anthony, I thought I'd docket? tell you a, Is there a story docket? that I, guess I think other people would be interested in. Um, a lot of people have been asking me about how I've been and what's been going on in my life, and, and y'all know about some of that. Um, but something happened the other day that was really interesting. Um, I got a phone call from somebody who I hadn't had in contact in like a year, and uh, they said that a friend of theirs – was getting interviewed by this guy on campus and they checked out their website and found me on there and <laughs> me explaining that I was an atheist. And so this person called me up and asked me what's going on. Why, why am I an atheist? Um, what happened to me? You know, very concerned. Like I was in a very dark and like depressed stage in my life almost. And I was just like, no, I'm fine. Like hey, everything. Terrible, is Daniel, what's the matter with you? You're, you're right. way too, happy <laughs> yeah um and it's just bizarre because that's not the first time that this has happened um there's been a few people that have come across anthony's videos one way or another that know me and end up finding my video um and then getting in contact with me but this one was interesting because it came with the approach of um like that i was sad or that there was something like just really wrong with me um and what happened just, to you daniel with, come on yeah, so they, they came out with all these apologetics and stuff and like, oh, well, how do you, can you believe that the universe came from nothing and all this and that? And it's just like these aren't I, I tried to calmly explain that, like, you know, these aren't things that I haven't considered that this was a long process for me. This wasn't something that just, you know, happened to me one day. And um, it was kind of sad because this was actually a girl who um, I had led in some ways. Um, I was kind of a, a leader to her in uh, when I was in the camp ministry. I actually helped her get the job there, um, and I was kind of her boss there and stuff. And so um, she was just very shocked, that, and I would be too. But I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, it's just I thought it would be interesting to share. Was she sounds like uh, a great opportunity to Essie. Yeah. Yeah. Was she? And, um, she was really surprised that you were. Was she surprised that you? did not seem to be depressed and gloomy or yeah um i guess she's she surprised like, that you were an atheist she was surprised that i was an atheist and i guess because i wanted to feel her out i was like is there some sort of uh narrative that you hear about atheists that you know this is all just a, an emotional thing and she's like well 
you know, I've looked into apologetics before and I've tried to see like the atheist perspective, but I think people get there because they're just not right with God and they're just, um, you, you know, not seeing things in the right perspective. Um, so mm. yeah, I don't know. She just was cruising YouTube and stumbled across your video. So she has a friend that you interviewed, Anthony. Oh, okay. Is she in the, okay. Was her friend in the same group? I think so. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. I haven't interviewed the same group I was a part of. It must be an old one because I haven't been on the university in about a year and a half. Really? Okay. Maybe it's somebody I interviewed on the trail. It might have been that. Yeah, because it happened really recently, like a week or two ago. Oh, okay. Ah, I think I know who it might be. Yeah, I didn't catch a name. I kind of wish I did. But yeah, just kind of I interviewed a young woman recently, a uh, Christian, and I'm wondering if that's her. Yeah, it's amazing. I think like it was what, 4 million people in San Antonio or something? And yeah, I know. stuff happens. It's interesting. Really wild. But uh, yeah, it's like a big butterfly effect. I don't know. It's crazy just the little kind of conversations you have and where that goes. Get ready for that, guys, CJ and Tom. That's going to happen. <laughs> I think um, I saw in one of your well, videos, Reed, somebody was walking by and, and yelled at you, like, hello, or I love you, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, a few people recognize me now. And also, I was just walking you know, down the street where I live, and some random person on the street saw me. And like, oh, I, I watch your videos. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's cool. Your YouTube famous. Cool. Actually, Anthony, I did not know that San Antonio has like four million people. I'm gonna Google it right now. It's probably that. way off, but it's. I think we're the seventh okay. largest seventh city largest. in the United States. Yeah. Really. How did you come to determine there were four million people there? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Ah, good question. If someone were to explain to you that the two men <laughs> armadillos. <laughs> I just uploaded a video today where I was able to use the armadillo example. I uploaded Remind a video where the, the guy thinks, example, please? <laughs> he thinks that everything happens for a reason. But, um, yeah, she sent me some. And then you, uh, and then you ask, what about armadillos? What? <laughs> I don't remember the armadillo uh, example. Oh, you don't remember she... the armadillo example? Oh. I'm sorry, man. Well, we don't, I guess, should we get into that here? Basically, it's just the way, it's kind of the tic-tac thing. Ask somebody if they think armadillos are egg layers or live bearers. And if they oh, think okay. that could so be just both. a relativism test. Sure. Okay. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. all I needed. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that was in your skeptic camp talk, I think. Or was it? Yeah, CJ missed it. missed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got the answer wrong. So where do you go from there, Daniel? Do you do you spend a lot of time with people who want to save you? Um, How much so time are you willing to invest in those talks? He went ahead and sent me a video from uh, Chris Missler talking about codes in the Bible and stuff. And so I sent her like a rational wiki link to some of the Bible contradictions because she's a very fundamentalist. You know, Earth is 6,000 years old. The Bible is infallible whole nine yards um so i figured well maybe i can start with this bible is infallible belief um and kind of go from there because i didn't really know where to start 
but I, yeah, I've engaged with them before, but it's, it's kind of hard because some people have better intentions than others. I know one person who in particular has been really, really trying to meet up with me and I've been very hesitant to because um, their beliefs are much more, ex I would say extreme. And um, he found out under some pretty poor circumstances. I was accidentally tagged um, on Facebook when somebody uploaded the video and I didn't know about it until later and he already saw it. And so when he described how he found my video, he said that Jesus just told him or like God just told him. And I was like, no, seriously, how did you find it? And I finally got out of him that it was tagged on this Facebook thing, which is just like, okay, that's already not a great start. Um, so yeah, I've, it's just been very strange because people aren't used to seeing me like that. And it's like, yeah, here I am now. So I don't know what to tell them. It's like, I, I can't give them my whole journey. I can only give them the start, you know, and tell them what started me off and, and see where that goes from there. But um, to them, I'm just another atheist that they know that they can use next time they talk to other people about atheists and how to talk to them and stuff, <laughs> you know, that's what I feel like anyway. But yeah. Hmm. What do you want to talk about, CJ's yep. question? I don't know if if Daniel spotted it yet. Do you want to check it out in the chat there? Yeah, let's see. While you're reading that, I'm I'm gonna just vamp here. I'm wondering if there could be some benefit into bringing one of your friends on, Daniel, uh, somebody that might be worried about you or or think that maybe you didn't give this a lot of thought. Uh, we can definitely you know make them feel welcome here, but try to understand you know, what their reaction was when they saw it. That would be interesting. Uh, what they think they, they might hope to achieve by talking with you. Mm. Um, I think we could arrange that. Yeah. I think I'm lagging a little bit, so I'm going to refresh. You guys keep going ahead. Yeah. Um, sure. Let's plan on that in the future, actually. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, so uh, question here is, if we could spend a few minutes brainstorming a question about SE for Dawkins and Krauss. Um, uh, yeah, because uh, they have, uh, they're doing a European tour now apparently, and I go to their event on Saturday in Amsterdam. And I've been thinking about this for a week and I, I basically I want to, uh, if, I, if I get the chance to ask a question, I want to make it uh, a good one, <laughs> make it worthwhile, make it valuable. Uh, so so the idea thinking, here is uh, what can we, we do to to get SE on their radar? If it's not already, there might be an opportunity to ask a question during the Q&A mm. as these guys are touring. Yeah. It, should it should probably be about like the backfire effect and when facts fail. Uh, I guess that should be the general direction of, of the question. And then, of course, SE might have a place in that. Um, Did I you think, say Sam uh, Harris will be there too? Come across no, no, Do uh, Richard Dawkins and Lawrence, Lawrence Krauss. Um, we've seen a few examples of talks where people like them, them and people like them talk about the problem of facts failing in discussion and the backfire effect. Uh, but not many people actually discuss solutions other than, yeah, it's a problem and we need something. Well, and of course, there may be uh, a lot of videos that I've missed uh, on this, but... Um, Maybe we can add something to that. The APOS app will 
was sponsored by the Richard Dawkins Foundation, so I hope right. Richard Dawkins knows about it. Um, but maybe um, just you know, giving an anecdote or maybe just reminding. That's not a bad like, idea. Yeah, yeah. You may yeah, only that, know dropping that reference would be good. It would probably get Dawkins' attention. And I do remember Lawrence Cross being on Sam Harris's podcast. I think he's been on a couple times, but his most recent one, if I'm not mistaken. He was talking about the importance of teaching critical thinking and asking questions and not just accepting things based on authority. And this was this was Krauss going on. And I remember thinking that he he could be a good advocate for SE if he just heard of it, if he just became aware of it and could see the, this the the apparent effectiveness of it. I think that could be that that would definitely I think that I think that would get his attention. But it's breaking through the noise. And yeah, I think that would be be one possible angle if you get a chance to ask Krauss that question. Um, present it as a possible okay. solution taking, to the problem notes. that he identified. You could maybe ask something like, uh, have you heard of this thing called street epistemology? And what, if so, what do you think about its uh, effectiveness at avoiding the backfire effect? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, something like that, though, is really easy to say, no, I haven't heard of it. Next question. Like, uh, you know, I would try yeah, to... Uh, I should start out with identifying the problem and uh, referencing, for example, what Anthony mentioned about him and Harris talking about this. And then maybe mentioning street epistemology as a possible solution, as part of a solution, and that the RDF sponsored... I mean, I should name Peter Bogosian, of course, because that's a yeah, connection... If you if you if they have talked to each other, if you say those names, they're uh, more likely to pay attention. Yeah, and then uh, hoping they can comment on uh, what they see as the solution, and uh, if it's really epistemology has a uh, place in it. I don't want it to sound like just a plug for SE. It right. should be more than that. Um, it should be a question. I mean, I, I we all hate when people. Right. Good question time for just commenting, and, and I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, you don't want it to come across as some shameless plug either. Like I, I would recognize that there's a problem that Kraus pointed out. This is this thing with the Dawkins Foundation is a potential solution. Are you aware of it? And and would you would you be open to learning more about it if you haven't heard of it? Something like that, maybe. Mm. Yeah, uh, that last bit already sounds a little sounds bit pluggy. too much like a plug for me. Um, I right. I probably want to frame it more in the sense of: Do you see street epistemology having a place? What other solutions? What do you think about this? And do you see any other solutions that that might help? I would want to frame it a bit broader. Okay, so I'm. Uh, Doing my notes here. Uh, ATO sponsored uh, by the Richard Dawkins Foundation. Uh, so first, I identify the problem, mm -hmm. a problem of the backfire effects, uh, effect and facts failing. Uh, I mention one or two. I reference reference one or two instances where people, like Kraus himself, uh, identifies this problem, but doesn't talk about solutions. I haven't seen the interview myself, by the way, so that's just going off what you, what you guys are saying. And then I mention SE as a possible solution, 
and uh, see what what they, their comment is and what they see as uh, solutions, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that's good. good. And the more they, they keep hearing okay. those words, that maybe they will start looking into it. And I will try to. Well, speaking of questions, um, unless we have anything else to talk about, we can go into some Q&A. Um, I see one here in the chat that we can start off with. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Cool. Sure. So Randy Joe asks, what's a great book I can buy to do my own research on epistemology? A workshop where I live. So obviously there's Peter Bogosian's uh, Manual for Creating Atheists, but uh, the question does say epistemology and not necessarily straight epistemology. Uh, did anybody have any recommendations on that? Does it have to be a book? Because there's some great YouTube videos and courses online to watch. Yeah. Tell us about that, Reed. <laughs> we'll just search epistemology in YouTube, and uh, I forgot what channel it is exactly, but it's it's one of the top, top five results um, where there's a series of, of videos explaining the different types of um, epistemologies that have been used over the years and what the latest you know, philosophy is about. Isn't I think it, a, it could be helpful to, to learn about epistemology. I would say that it's not a requirement. It, it might be something that could help you get better at this, I suppose, but I've never formally studied it. And I feel like I'm more than capable of having a conversation with somebody about how they could be so sure. So um, I would say if you feel like you want to do that, that's fine. I don't see how it could hurt. If I were to try to use the best use of my time, I think I would study psychology and start reading books by Jonathan Haidt, for example, or motivational interviewing might be more useful. Um, I, I think people see street epistemology and think you have to have expertise in epistemology to do this. And uh, it doesn't seem to be the case. I think it's uh, just as much, uh, if not more, about just reason and critical thinking. Uh, and that is, I guess, an epistemology or a form of it. So I don't think you need to worry about the term epistemology so much as uh, focus on, you know, critical thinking skills, focus on trying to identify uh, errors in someone's logic and, you know, gently coax them into noticing those and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So I, I also don't have any expertise in philosophy and epistemology, but I think I, I still do pretty good at getting people to say, gosh, that's a good question. So I don't think it's really necessary. Hmm. Yeah. I also don't have any formal training in philosophy or epistemology. Um, but watching videos, I think, is a good way to do it and just practicing it, too. Um, I don't know any books specifically. I wish I did, but there's a lot of great online resources. I know the Street Epistemology website has their guide on how to do street epistemology. Um, 
But yeah, I'm sure, like Reed said, you could probably just Google search some YouTube stuff. I mean, you can do that with anything these days. Yeah, I think I'd like to see someone first make a case that I could be more effective at what I'm doing by s studying epistemology. Yeah. Uh, let's demonstrate, if you could, how, um, what three things would I be better at doing when I have a conversation with somebody if I've studied epistemology formally? Um, I might, you, you might convince me. I might, I might uh, decide to take a class on that. If you have a suggestion to make me more effective at this, then I'll entertain it. What's the next question? Yeah, next question comes from Gannon Truman, who asks, what's the best way for an absolute beginner to get some talks out to the public? Are we able to utilize you guys for promoting, assuming you like the content? <laughs> Sounds like a question for Tom, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I just did today. Um, I think just get into the Facebook group, join the Streets Epistemology Facebook group, start talking to people, get some ideas and, and watch some videos. Everyone uh, are open to contact and give give advice. So, yeah, I've reached out to Anthony and Reed and a whole load of other people on the Street Epistemology um, Facebook group, and I've already got several subscribers, and they're just really waiting for my first conversation to land i'll, I'll wait for soon. you tom hurry up I, I hope i don't get one like reed had earlier though <laughs> and and if he's asking just like how he can get the word out then just we'll just share it on your social media just mm. any video yeah there yeah, seems to be a demand for it so yeah go ahead and, and have five talks uh upload what you think is your best one uh, maybe in the private group, if you're just a little shy, get some feedback, and then you can decide if you want to publish it. And um, I mean, the barrier to entry is very low. So uh, if it's a decent talk, we'll try to promote it. You know, we'll definitely say, give you feedback. I, I want people to feel like they can reach out to me, uh, message me on social media, and I'll try to I'll try to review it and give you some personal feedback. But you would probably get a much broader sense of feedback feedback from people if you just post it in the group i think that's a good idea and this this makes me think about the some sort of multi-channel network thing uh, this is an idea that we've been banding about not so much publicly here but uh, it, some sort of channel that would just take content from around the world of, of examples so somebody might want to go out two or three times a year they don't have the time to keep uploading content and uh, if they had a way to distribute it, uh, maybe some sort of multi-channel network solution could could do that. So that that's something that we're talking about. Uh, there might be some more information like on that in the future. I don't know, but it is something that we've definitely thought about. It might encourage more people to go out and have a one-off conversation if they if they knew that there was a place that could possibly even edit the video for them, slap a logo on it, slap a call to action, and then distribute it for them. Yeah, if someone goes out there and records a video and uploads it, and they they would like some feedback, like consider themselves invited to this this podcast for sure. We can we can talk about it. Yeah, yeah in fact, there's sure. one person in particular. He's been going out quite a bit, and uh, we want to get him on the show where we can take one of his videos and and do a breakdown like we did with Reeds just now. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you can advertise street epistemology a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be. Um, a way to have conversations with religious people or anything like that. It can be, what's a better way to just 
talk to people in general about anything. Um, I see street epistemology as just a great set of social skills. Um, and that's applicable in so many different kinds of environments, um, not just about beliefs even. Um, you can use it in so many different contexts. So yeah, there's a street epistemology if, if you have the right angle for it. Um, yeah, so like they said, just promote their stuff, share it. I wish I had some stuff. Maybe in the future, we'll get that going. Um, I just did an interview with uh, David Oliverio last weekend, uh, The Preaching Humanist, and that should be coming up uh, this next weekend on his channel. Uh, and I kind of plug some street epistemology stuff too, uh, advertise for the podcast and stuff. So um, just trying to get the word out there. Um, next question. What do you think is so attractive to some people about a debate? There are people who know about SE, however, they seem to prefer debating. <laughs> um, I think ego I think is a driver. driver. Yes, I was going to say ego. I was going to say I can nail, I can answer that in one word. Mm. Yeah, I think ego is a big part of it. There, there's a sense of accomplishment if you crush your opponent or you studied the material so well, and here's your chance to show how smart you are. So, yeah, like SE seems like the opposite of ego in that it's about the person you're talking to. It's about the belief. It's about the method. Mm -hmm. You want to set your egos aside so you can figure the thing out. Yeah. I wrote about this the other day. Um, I think SE to me is less about just being right about something. It's more about giving someone a perspective on something that they may not have considered. Um, because we're not necessarily building a case. We're not saying, oh, but there's evidence for this, this, and this. And that's why you should believe this. We're doing the opposite. We're kind of breaking down other people's positions and really wondering why they believe the things the way they do. So it's almost the opposite of a debate, even. Yeah. A couple uh, of times at the uh, conference, um, uh, something came up which hadn't really occurred to me, which I think may explain this. And that was, uh, why are you doing it? What is your goal? And that may be the, the, the key difference. If your goal is just to, you know, show everyone that you're smarter than they are and to win arguments, then you're probably going to do debates about firebrand atheism. But uh, those of us doing SE, I think our goals are pretty different. We want people to believe true things. We want to make a, the world a better place. We want to, you know, it's not about us. It's about the world. And I would think somebody be. who's in a debate would would say that they're debating because they want to help people who are in the audience and people watching change their mind, that they're not out there to change the mind of their opponent. So I, I think they would probably argue that they're out there also to to promote truth. Um, okay. Then in that case, uh, maybe yeah. they just don't know a better method. It's, it's all they know. How yeah, to but do. what I, I think... I think what Anthony is saying is actually important. This is this we've been talking about this during the conference uh, and outside of the conference quite a bit. Uh, macro strategy versus micro strategy, and that debates do seem to be useful for the audience. When you debate, you don't do it like Anthony said to convince your co uh, opponent. You do it to convince to convince the audience, and that does happen and it does work. I mean, I don't have like like statistics on it but we know that uh, we know that this does work for, we know that people 
have said that they have changed their minds on opinions uh, after watching a couple uh, a couple of debates. And you also see, for for example, there's sometimes at a debate they do a poll, like an audience poll, mm-hmm. uh, where the audience is uh, with regards, regards to the topic. Um, I guess it's also um, not just about the ego thing, but also certain types of education uh, teach you how to debate, right? Especially when it's like a more academic uh, thing. And of course, in academic circles, people are expected to change their minds uh, because of debates and because of good arguments and good points. So that's kind of like an ideal to Mm -hmm. aspire to. And the whole thing, of course, as he basically comes before that, it's the thing we need to do when people don't or can't change their minds because of arguments uh, and or de- uh, debates. So there is a place for it, both with an audience and also some people. for some people, actually, it does work. Well, yeah. But I, it's, I... Uh, the one or the other is just isn't enough. We need both and we need to use the uh right method for the right time okay i keep hearing this thing people keep saying well you know debates that's for the audience not for the people they're talking to and and i i i understand that that uh i understand what they're saying but uh if that is in fact effective i would think the only reason I can imagine why would be because if you're not the one that's actually in the argument, you're probably more likely to be open to these ideas because you're not being, you know, confronted by someone and it's not quite as threatening. But if, if, uh, even if that works, I don't understand why uh, a discussion, an SE discussion, uh, with an audience wouldn't be just as effective or more effective for the people in the audience. So I, I don't see see that debate itself is necessarily better at convincing an audience versus an SE type thing. So yeah, yeah we haven't run that experiment with an right. SE conversation on a no. topic. Yeah, because uh, the other reason I say that is because even if the debate did have those effects, I, I see it also having some negative effects, which may counterbalance that. For example, you're coming off as as an angry atheist. You know, you're you're, you're dickish and and you know uh, condescending. So those should be taken into account as well. Do you think you could be as effective um, using SE if you didn't have the the knowledge of the debates of the apologetics and the counter apologetics? so that you can spot the fallacies and ask probing questions as necessary. I think it might be quite important to have some knowledge of the arguments. I, so I, don't, think you need to know, I don't think you need to know about apologetics, but you, it does. It, it is helpful to understand logical fallacies, if not by, you know, memorizing the list and the names, but at least understanding, you know, the scientific method and, and why falsification is important and so you say you you ask questions that have to do with falsification and and that sort of thing if you understand the basic concepts behind scientific inquiry and and you know reason that's enough i i don't you don't have to know what the kalam cosmological con you know argument is and all that stuff i don't think perhaps back to the original question um why do some people seem to prefer the debate style it might 
um, just be down to the actual motivation of the person having the conversation. If they want to have entertainment, then right. um, they'll have this debate style and have their ego massaged. Um, but if their motivation is to genuinely try to help the person and understand the person they're speaking to, then they'd be more likely to use SE. So perhaps it's just down to what their initial motivation was, maybe. And maybe some people just don't have the personality, you know, maybe they just, mm. it's just not within them to uh, do anything but argue, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. I think it's something you have to practice at too, though. I don't think it's something that comes intuitively. Um, I think it's definitely human nature to just debate on things. Even yeah, I agree. You have lots of studies have shown that usually they're not that effective. Um, so on that note, we have another question here that I think is really great. This comes from Mike Emery that says, does anyone have advice on how to work SE techniques into everyday conversations? I'm not interested in going on the street, but I think SE would benefit my conversations about belief with friends. Uh, I definitely have a response, right. but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Well, well, just one thing we can add. Actually, we've been uh, saying this during QED quite quite a bit. Um, we've had a bit of a focus on it that SE isn't the street in the street epistemology isn't about going out on the street with your whiteboard, even though a few of us are doing that. Uh, the real value, I think, is in everyday conversations. The street here in street epistemology is taking something academic epistemology and applying it to everyday conversations um, and just 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 demographically uh, like maybe one in a thousand would actually go out on the street and do these interviews and for all the rest of us it's about recognizing when this is appropriate and, and useful uh, in everyday conversation and I've been doing it for the last three years I've been trying to apply it that way whenever I can uh, but I've only start, started doing interviews with, with my whiteboard like two months ago. And I've been doing it with, with, with colleagues, family, friends. Yeah, this, this, should, this should basically seep into everyday life. This should be the norm. Yeah, I agree. Perhaps just, uh, I think, the three-question challenge that I heard you mention previously. If someone makes a claim or you see them um, not walk under that ladder because they think it's bad luck. Just to ask that question. Oh, what just happened there? Why didn't you walk under there? <laughs> really simple, and just ask those three questions, and it can be as simple as that, and that's the end of the conversation. Do you want um, to explain the three questions real quickly? Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's the, you know, the simple, what do you believe? Why do you believe in? How did you determine um, that that was likely to be true or something similar to that? But the what, why, and how. And just those three basic questions around whatever the behavior was. And go on your merry way, and hopefully you've left a little <laughs> place to the pebble in the shoe. But it doesn't have to be this five-minute, ten-minute, 20-minute conversation. It can just be just a, a simple couple of three questions and have lots of small interactions. Yeah, I've, I've always felt that... Uh when i'm when i do this all i need to do is is see that i've gotten someone to start thinking about it in a in a new way 
and at that point I'm done. I, I don't really feel like I need to do any more. I don't need to actually get them to change their mind while I'm there watching or necessarily, you know, uh, follow up with them later on and, you know, keep in touch and all that. I, I just want to go out and as, as often as possible, get people to just break out of their normal thinking process and start applying a little bit of, you know, critical thinking skills. And that's fine for me. Yeah, I think if you looked in a manual for creating atheists, you see that Peter Bogosian really wanted this method to be for personal conversations um, and, and really designed it that way. And when I look at whatever Reed or Anthony does, I don't see anything that they're doing that really anybody could do with their friends. Um, it does become a little different because you know that person and so the conversation can kind of be a little like the dynamic can be different i know when i talk with people i struggle sometimes because i kind of i start off with se and then it kind of goes into a debate a little bit and then i try to go back to se and it's not a complete se session because i have a relationship with this person yeah. and so that can kind of complicate things whereas if you're talking to a stranger and you have no like prior experience with that person that may not be an issue so there's pros and cons to that but i think if you just really watch these some of these videos and how people do it i don't see a whole lot where you couldn't do that on your own with anybody that you know i have the same experience i think it'd be really cool to start seeing people have organic conversations and then whip out their phone and say hey hold on a second do you mind if i just record this and the recording doesn't have to be perfect and they don't, the subjects don't have to be well-centered. But if, if people can start becoming aware when they're having the organic talk and they're able to capture it, that could be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I have, I think we can do one more question. Um, and this question here says, what's your views on the anti-SE movement people in churches and other places of worship are being warned about SE. <laughs> There's an anti-SE movement. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, movement. Wow. That's pretty strong. I've definitely heard some of the apologists that I've talked to who have started to come up with literature and I think even a whole program for churches on how to talk to people who are using SE um, I think Jonathan McGlatchey and might've been Tim McGrew as well had, had talked to me about doing that. I think that was before they realized how involved with SE I had actually become. Uh, they probably wouldn't have told me that otherwise, but, um, yeah, it's definitely out there and happening, even sure though it's a movement. there's, there are a few yeah. people that seem to be talking about it and making posts, but, uh, I mean, the, the, those two names, uh, Jonathan and Tim, uh, we've seen those names pop up, I think, like a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about any anybody else. Uh, then again, I wouldn't know about them because I wouldn't necessarily come across them. But yeah, they are the only ones I, uh, I've ever seen uh, address or mention SE. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much of a movement it is. Just seems like free marketing to yeah, me. I, I think movement is going pretty strong. I think there's some resistance to it. There's some concern. 
I think people are recognizing that it's effective in in causing a person to reflect on their belief and possibly discard their belief if they don't have a reliable reason and can't find a reliable reason. So I can definitely see why they're worried about it, but it does seem like it's a handful of people, um, which makes me wonder how much influence these apologists really have in the religious communities. Because, I mean, we've been plugging away at this for five years and they've been probably aware of it for three. And I, I, I don't hear a peep beyond I, a handful yeah. of apologists that are worried about this. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, maybe I'm just not hearing it, and they're being super secretive. Aren't if this was uh, some movement or something. Maybe so I think movement to, is a pretty strong word. Maybe we need to let some some more important. You're really low, Joe. Be, maybe we need to let some more important theists know about us so they can make a bigger stink. Yeah. And if apologists are so popular, like how come we haven't really run into anybody with like super solid apologist arguments? ever at least for me um just get some people out randomly in public i never get formal like arguments like that yeah the, the biggest argument i'm seeing these days from the apologist it's no longer that um you're attacking people because it's it's the examples that are out there are very friendly generally uh, now it's more, you're not qualified to do this, which I'm kind of wondering <laughs> the earlier question about the epistemology it makes me wonder if that was a theist, somebody that that uh, is complaining that we're not qualified to have a talk like this. And they are. So that seems to be where it's going. Um, yeah. And like, so it has some strong implications about some Christians, right? Like, are they qualified to talk about their own faith? I don't know. That's- well, that's the perfect response. You know, do do I need to be more qualified to question a person than that person needs to be qualified to have the belief in the first place? Yeah, how much how much qualification do you need to just simply ask someone some questions? <laughs> We're not the ones, you know, trying to uh, to deliver knowledge. We're just asking questions. Right, and if and another thing I've heard is that we're doing evil quote unquote things because we're confusing people and because we're making people lose their step. And I don't know anybody that has just dropped their belief because they talked to one guy about it and they disagree. If anything, they're going to go and try to look for arguments to help support their belief after they have that conversation, which should be a good thing uh, for these people. Unless of course they don't find anything. Um, But you know, in theory, like that should be a good thing because it leads people closer to, you know, the truth, whatever that is. So I don't know. Remember when the- if I was an apologist, I would be worried about SE because we completely bypass them. They, they're obsolete with this method. Yeah, they, they don't so know. I can they... see how it's a threat because all the books that they've written, all the videos that they make, all the podcasts that they're on. It has nothing to do with the epistemology of why a person believes and how that how that method is reliable. So a simple question bypasses books and books and books that these apologists have written about biblical contradictions and explaining unintended consequences. That is irrelevant. That that's not a factor at all when, when we're using SE. So right. this might be some not- sort of sense of desperation. 
I think on their part. We're not responding but to their not, not, not just that. Audience. It's yeah, but but not just that. More importantly, it's irrelevant to the majority of believers. That's the exactly. That's the and real Tia is a great example of that. If Tia realized she had no evidence, she would still believe. Yeah. How many thousands, millions of believers say that? So this is a psychological issue, and Essie mm -hmm. is so perfect for uncovering that. So, so yeah, uh, the the apologists are a distraction. It's time to move on. <laughs> they they have nothing, and and they they they're just a a little nuisance at this point. If that, we're making them more of a nuisance than they need to be. Mm. I think. Yeah. Hopefully more people will know about it through exposure. And um, yeah, uh, I, I, don't, I can't imagine a defense against SE. You know, I, I think that's kind of the, the gist of some of these talks that they want to give at these churches of how you can protect yourself against someone who's trying SE on you. And I just, I, I don't know how that's possible. I, really, it's just about giving honest answers about what you believe you know, um, unless you're doing some clever wordplay where you try to get out of whatever questions being asked, I don't see how you could do that without being dishonest. So uh, I was going to end it at that, but we do have one more really interesting question. Are you guys up for one more? Yes, yeah, cool. Uh, sure. Okay, cool. Uh, sure. Same person asking when somebody holds a belief based on emotion, i.e., loss of a loved one, at what point do you back out of SE? Is there a line? When would you back off and how? Good question. I, I would uh, say that really depends on that? what it would. I guess that would um, depend on what it would mean for this person to lose the belief. Uh, I think a belief can be based on emotion, but discarding that discarding that belief might not be so traumatic. Uh, so I would say the, the correct way to go about it is to try to figure out what it would mean uh, for this person to lose lose the belief and uh, go off that. And I do I, I know, at least from Anthony, that he has had experience with that. And it actually actually has come up uh, during the SE uh, during the QED conference as well, where people uh, were voicing these concerns. I think we ultimately what we're doing comes from a place of compassion and if there are any doubts in our mind that perhaps we shouldn't continue this conversation uh, I think we are on the side of caution and let that person go on their way I think that's how I would probably approach it rather than do harm um, that I didn't intend to do yeah I would just ask if they're comfortable talking about the topic and to, like to let me know if if you know if it ever gets too personal or too too uncomfortable it's gonna be i think i would acknowledge that yes this could be really painful if we, if we kept talking and you discovered that you didn't have a good reason for this belief and you eventually discarded this belief yeah i, I agree that this could be really upsetting and it might take some time to recover mm. and, and just be upfront with them about the cost involved in in discarding a very deeply held belief um, and then this goes back to being there for them. 
offer yourself to be there for them if they need you and guide them to resources and be willing to talk to them at two in the morning uh, if they're upset and they need mm-hmm. some comfort or they need to get through a difficult time. Well, I've also, I've it all comes about... down to whether or not they want to believe true things. That's, that's kind of my barometer is, mm-hmm. do you want to believe true things? If this belief wasn't true, even though it would be costly and, and painful, would you want to get rid of it? And some people will say, yeah. And some people will say, no. So, so let them call the shots, uh, let them know what the, what the, what's involved with it would be my advice. Mm. I also think about how people say that their God belief gives them comfort, you know, um, and the whole process of deconversion, especially if you have a belief that does give you comfort, which I think is most people, if not all, um, it's just a really painful and uncomfortable process for the most part. There's no real easy way around it. If you are seeking truth and you want to know things with a clear head, that means undoing a lot of the emotional tangling that gets up there. I really wish Anthony, when you talked to me, I don't think you did ask me if my belief gives me comfort and you know, if I would keep it because it gives me comfort or not. I don't know what I would say at the time. I, hopefully I would say I would want to drop it if it wasn't true, but I don't know what I would say personally. Uh, the truth is, I think more conversations become more deep and more personal than a lot of people might give them credit for because of how long people have had these beliefs and how much of their life has actually have been built upon them. Um, and so they may not be honest about how emotionally tied they are to these beliefs because they don't expect, they don't even know how tied they are until they've really examined it. And they, that may not happen during the conversation. It may happen later on when they're reflecting back on it. So it's going to be a, an ethical, uh, ethical landmines wherever you go, not just with dead people or uh, loved ones. I mean, not dead people, but dead loved ones, you know, um, any kind of belief like that is going to have an emotional attachment that you got to be careful for. So cool. Okay. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. Um, thank shout outs to both of you guys for uh, being with us at whatever time in the morning it is over there. Uh, we really appreciate it. 242 AM. Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, I think we all agree. We'd love to have you on again sometime. Um, no more announcements on the horizon right now. We're going to try to keep doing the bi-weekly schedule. That is every other Thursday, I think. Um, we might not do it at 6 o'clock next time, or well, 6 o'clock central next time. I think we'll go back to doing it in the day. Uh, we'll let you know about that. Um, Everybody want to plug their YouTube channels real quick and other social media? Uh, Anthony, we'll start with you. Uh, hit me up on Magna Bosco on Twitter or Magna Bosco 210 on YouTube. And uh, I'm Cordial Curiosity on YouTube, also on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I'm placing, I'll do it while I'm here. I might not get this chance again. 
Go for it. So, um, <laughs> Placing Pebbles on YouTube and at Placing Pebbles on Twitter. Follow me. I love that and name, I, by the way. Uh, oh, thank you. Absolutely, yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, mine is not not as brilliant, but it is descriptive. <laughs> CJ Dutch SE on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show, guys. Uh, I think that's a wrap. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.